Welcome to episode 50 of the Running Effect with Dominic's Leader. I'm your host, Dominic. And just before we get started, a special thanks to all of you for your support over the first 50 episodes. I couldn't do it without you guys. So here's to 50 more episodes. But uh, on today's episode of the Running Effect, I speak with my good friend, Elise Cranny. Just uh, over the past couple of months since last summer, Elise has quickly cemented herself as one of the greatest American woman distance runners of all time. Just within this past uh, few months time period, she has won her first Olympic trials in the 5K, competed in her first Olympics, and set a new American record in the indoor 5K, 1433, which defeated her coach's previous uh, American record. And just last weekend, she set the second fastest time in American woman's history in the 10K, running 3014. But what made that race so remarkable was that she ran the last 7,000 meters completely solo. So the grit she displayed in that race is truly remarkable. And we go into all of that in this episode. But speaking of what we go into in this episode, some of the topics we cover are her Olympic experience from the racing to the exotic food, her American record in the 5K and number two time in American woman history in the 10K, her decision to donate her prize money from the 10 to the Katie Meyer Memorial Fund after Katie Meyer's tragic death, and additionally, why we need to start discussing mental health more, her involvement in the company Voice in Sport and why she thinks it's important to give back to the sport in some way. Um, I ask her in a culture that is so fixated on results, how she has tried to detach herself from what others think, what she thinks the biggest misconception about Bowerman Track Club is, and the biggest lessons she's learned from her teammates and so, so much more. So the amount of wisdom and advice Elise provides in this episode is truly incredible. Elise is a phenomenal runner, but an even better human being. The impact she is having on and off the track is astounding. I really, really appreciate Elise and all she does for the sport. The way she contributes on and off the track is truly something to aspire to. And uh, I am personally so inspired every single day when I see what Elise is doing. So special thanks to Elise for taking the time to talk with me as always and share so much amazing wisdom for me and all of you to listen to and hopefully apply to our own lives. So without further ado, here is my amazing conversation with Elise Cranny. Elise, how are you doing? It's been 21 episodes since we uh, last talked and recorded an episode. I know we did a few uh, race commentaries um, over the past few months, but it's been a minute since I last had you on the podcast. So how are you doing? Yeah, well, first, I'm pumped pumped to be here for the 50th episode. Um, yeah, it seems like it's been a long time since, since we've chatted, but you've uh, been recording a lot of podcasts in between. So I'm just happy to be back on The Running Effect. Excited to talk to you today. So I know we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but obviously people wouldn't have heard that. So uh, you just ran a 10K in California, and before that you were in Flagstaff for a couple of months training up at altitude very hard. Um, so, And now you're back home in Portland. So uh, what is it like finally being back home in Portland, even though it might have some uh, drizzly weather welcoming you? <laughs> Yes, we're always welcomed by the rain. Um, it's nice to be back. It's always, I mean, I love being at altitude, like growing up in Colorado, um, training at altitude and being on, you know, the trails, whether it be in Flagstaff or Park City is um, my absolute favorite. And um, so I always love that kind of part of the year when we're at altitude. But it is also nice um, in between just to be back at our home base, you know, be in your own house, in your own space, um, and kind of not feel like you're living in a suitcase or, or living, um, 
like on the road. So it's nice to get settled back in. Um, but yeah, I'll be excited. I think we'll probably go up to Park City in April. So it's always, it's nice to kind of have that in between of getting some time um, back at home. Um, but then also um, looking forward to putting in some more work at altitude um, in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, so kind of diving into this episode with a little bit of an introduction for those who didn't listen to our first episode or even aren't familiar with you at all. Can you give um, those listening a brief introduction of who you are and your history in the sport of running? Yeah. um, So I'm from Boulder, Colorado. Um, I have uh, two younger sisters. Um, My parents um, did triathlons and Ironmans growing up, so that's kind of how I was introduced just to the world of um, endurance sports. Um, and then got into running um, kind of a, a little bit in middle school, um, started cross country in eighth grade, um, was really into it for like the runs to Dairy Queen and back. Those were, those <laughs> were the highlight of middle school cross country days. Um, And then, yeah, I got really into it um, in high school. Um, The assistant cross-country coach at my high school um, when I was a freshman, Jason Hartman, he ended up coaching me um, primarily through the rest of high school. Um, But him and then a track coach, uh, Coach Mo, um, the two of them were just really huge in opening my eyes to um, you know, the sport of running and the opportunities that were available and, um, you know, trying to get in some races like Nike cross nationals or those kind of national meets outside of the state. Um, and just, you know, I think they opened my eyes to yeah, running in college and then potentially, um, you know, running beyond college. Um, so then I went to, um, Stanford and ran there, uh, for four and a half years. And then in 20, 19, I joined uh, the Bowerman Track Club, so been training here since, and yeah, I feel so grateful to um, just have had such, um, you know, great um, coaches and teammates around me, you know, from high school up until now. Um, I feel like that's just made a huge difference in continuing to, you know, help me push past limits and and elevate to new levels, so um, yeah. That is so, so cool, and thank you for giving us um, that introduction to you for those who aren't as familiar with you or even as a refresher to people. Kind of diving into that history, you ran for, hopefully I'm not butchering this, and please correct me if I am, Neewat High School, and um, you also ran for Stanford, as you were saying, and both of those programs continue to um, do some really, really big things. Specifically in the past year, both programs have done some big things on the national stage. So what is it like looking back on these pivotal moments in your life with those two teams, and then to now step back um, you're obviously in a different place in life right now and see how good they're doing. Oh my gosh. It's been so fun to follow, um, follow both programs. And yeah, I kind of, I mentioned coach Mo who's still the track coach, um, at the high school and he had texted me after the 10 K and he's like, we have like 150 kids out. So I feel like the program, um, just keeps building. So they have, you know, just an insane amount of, of people that signed up for track this year and just watching them, you know, compete 
you know, even cross country too, but at the state level and then the national level as well. And, you know, as you said, same with Stanford and um, just following, you know, I still have a couple people that I overlapped with on the team at Stanford. So, you know, being able to follow them and then also see, you know, the new generation of people coming in and just what they've been able to do um, as a team is, is super inspiring and, and motivating. And yeah, I love to follow along uh, mm-hmm. with both programs. <laughs> so while we're kind of on the topic of um, the next generation, I think this would be a good segue into talking about something you're really involved with currently, which is called Voice in Sport, which is a company designed to bring more visibility to female athletes and elevate their voice. So last year, I believe, is when you first started being a mentor for Voice in Sport. So I'm interested to know what has being a mentor been like uh, for you over this past year? Oh, so incredible. And I feel like has given my own running so much more purpose too. just, um, I don't know, the relationships that I've formed with people um, from all over the U.S., but also all over the world. And, um, you know, just feel so, like, grateful that, you know, these um, young runners in high school and college want to share their story and want to hear my story. And I think there's this, you realize there's a lot more similarities than you thought. You know, a lot of people going through similar injuries that I also experienced in college or things like that. And I think it's just given a whole new meaning to to the like the times where I had setbacks or injuries, you know, it gives meaning to to the struggle because you're like, okay, I learned all of these things and I wanna, you know, try to pass that on to someone else. And, you know, like when I was in college, that's what the like older girls on the team gave to me. Um, They just had all this knowledge of just, you know, about anything, injuries, setbacks, but also just like, I don't know, balancing, you know, running and academics and, you know, taking care of yourself and, um, you know, prioritizing relationships and all those sorts of things. And so to be able to, um, you know, hopefully try to like pay it forward a little bit and help help younger runners as, you know, my older teammates helped me is something that's been been really special. And um I've said this a couple times, but I think the, like, my mentees also hold me accountable. Like, when it's just a, when I'm, like, giving a piece of advice or telling them, you know, to listen to their body or slow down or focus on recovery, it's also, like, a really good wake-up call for me as well to be like, okay, Elise, like, you know, check in with yourself. Are you also doing the same thing? Because you can't be, you know, giving this advice if you're not going to take your own as well. So they um, they really challenge me and hold me accountable in that way, which is super special. Mm-hmm. That is so, so awesome to hear. Um, this question might sound a little bit cliche, but as kind of a follow-up to it, why do you think it's important to give back to the sport in some way? Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said, I think I first kind of thought about this in college. I was just like, wow, you learn so much through the sport. And I was like, I feel like in some ways, you know, the older people on the team end up graduating and like not all of the knowledge is shared and I think I remember having a conversation with um coach Milt my college coach and he was like you can't you know change someone's like journey or trajectory or like prevent them from getting injured or whatever it may be but he was like you can help them hopefully get there like a little bit faster than you did so like you know, maybe they avoid like an additional injury or two, or maybe they are just, you know, in a better, better, able to be in a better mental state, um, you know, throughout their injuries, if they feel like supported and they have help. And I think 
that's just like so important to me I think is like we all are you know have a different journey and a different story and different things we're working through and I think just to be able to like connect with others and share that so you know people never feel like they're alone and they can connect with someone else that maybe have has had similar things or experienced similar things in the sport is so so important and I think that's what I love about voice in sport is like you know that's kind of what it was built on of just um, you know, female athletes drop out at a much higher rate than than male athletes in sport. And just, I don't know, really, I think the importance of giving back is just like forming that community so that no one, you know, feels like they're alone and they can like turn to someone in, in their struggles or they can turn to someone to like ask questions and learn more about the sport and be excited to, you know, challenge themselves and, and push their own limits. And I think you get that by, you know, having people to, um, look up to and talk to and like learn from. Mm-hmm. So to kind of wrap up the conversation around voice and sport, which is so, so awesome. What are the biggest lessons you've learned from helping others through this platform? I'm kind of uh, turning the tables on you here because you're the one teaching these people lessons. So I'm curious to know what lessons you've learned from helping others. Oh, no, that's a great question. I have learned so much from my mentees. As I said, I think like the piece of just, you know, them holding me accountable to of like, you know, make sure you're doing things in a way that's like sustainable and you're still, you know, taking care of yourself, even though you have these like really big goals um, and things you want to achieve, you know, like making sure you're still like celebrating the, you know, the steps forward and getting momentum. And I think that's really huge. And then I think something else that I've learned through it is just, um, I kind of touched on this a little earlier, but I just think the importance of relationships, like, yeah, to, not to go too big into like a bigger life lesson, but I just think the more um, that I think about that, it's like, I truly feel like we like are on this earth to be, you know, in relation with one another and be in community and, you know, form these like long life lasting um, relationships. And I think that's what's been so special And something that I've learned through being a mentor is, again, like, just um, meeting people from all over and really connecting with them. And um, also, I think the strength that comes from, um, you know, sharing your story and being vulnerable. Like, I'm just so amazed that, um, you know, my mentees just being so, like, open to sharing, you know, what they're going through or their thoughts or feelings or, you know, what they're going through and running, but also you know, in life. And I think that's where, um, that's something that I've definitely struggled with is like, you know, being open and vulnerable. And that's something that they've really taught me is like the importance of, of doing that in order to form those like deeper connections and kind of let people in. And so, yeah, that's a really special gift that, that they've given me. Man, we are only like 13 minutes into this podcast and the amount of wisdom uh, you've given us already is incredible. So maybe we should just end the podcast here. No, I'm joking. Um, We have so much more to cover. Um, Before we hop on to talking about the Olympics, um, of course, a lot of this podcast is um, geared towards high school runners. So for those high school athletes who are a woman listening to this and curious about voice and sport, uh, what are some resources they could look into to potentially um, become a part of it? Yeah, if they just go to the website, um, just search Voice in Sport, um, there is a lot of information on the website. Like, 
there are um, free mentorship sessions. There's a ton of um, cool like content articles they put out basically about, you know, any sort of topic you can think of related to um, females and, um, you know, females in sport and anything that you kind of might be experiencing. Um, and then on my Instagram page as well, it's the least.cranny there. I've like posted quite a bit about voice and sport, or you can find them on Instagram at voice and sport. So either of those places um, to get more information as well, but it's pretty easy to go to the website. And if you um, search them on Instagram, there should be a link to the website. Um, so it's pretty easy to sign up and, be able to use a lot of great resources um, on the platform for an, anyone age 13 to 22. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. I will make sure to uh, leave a link in the show notes to all of the things you just mentioned. So for anyone listening, you can just go in the show notes. Um, so I appreciate you taking us through all that because you know this and you've told me this, but running is so much more than just running. Um, and so I appreciate you kind of going through that because I know that's a big part of your life and impactful to you. So thank you for taking us through that. But now going into your actual running, um, of course, a big topic last year was you making it to the Olympics in the 5K. You won the Olympic trials, um, which was super, super exciting. And you ended up placing, I believe, again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but 13th in the Olympic final in the 5K. So what was your Olympic experience like as a whole? Oh, man, that's such a good question. Um, it was incredible overall. It's like kind of hard to... To sum up, um, very grateful that um, Chris and I both made the 5K team, um, just kind of navigating a new place, especially um, during COVID. It was just nice, like we were able to room together, so that was really nice. Um, the I would say one of the most um, surprising things to me was the village. I don't know what I was expecting, but it felt like a mini city, like there were just tons of buildings with basically a bunch of um, rooms where all the athletes were staying, you know, by country. And there was this huge um, dining hall where all the athletes ate, which was just like, I don't, yeah, again, like I said, I don't know what I was picturing, but it was just like a really cool atmosphere and environment to be in just, um, you know, passing so many um, athletes from all kinds of different sports and all different countries, um, you know, all being there in one place. So that was, that was something that was super special. And then I think in terms of the race itself, it was um, just a really eye-opening experience to me. I hadn't really run um, on the global stage like that before. And so I learned so much just from, you know, racing against people that I've, um, you know, looked up to for so many years and followed in the sport and, um, you know, just being in a race with people who have been at multiple Olympics and have, you know, medaled at multiple championships is um, something that I feel like, yeah, just totally elevated my mindset kind of after I reflected on that experience of like, okay, just, you know, seeing people that have been around in the sport and have had a lot of longevity and a lot of success in the sport of like, okay, this is, you know, how they're doing things, like you can tell just in how they're like warming up or doing their strides or things like how locked in they are, how focused. And um, yeah, I think it was just a really, um, 
great opportunity for me to um, go there and have that experience and then reflect on like, okay, what are changes that I can make so I can, you know, be even more competitive, hopefully moving forward at, at the global level. I have to ask, just as a little bit of a fun question, I need to uh, sprinkle in some more fun questions because obviously we talk about serious (laughs) subjects on this podcast. Um, What was the best food you had in the Olympic Village and what was the worst food you had in the Olympic Village? Because from what it seemed like, like that people were sharing, um, and I didn't see as much as normal people do because I'm not really on social media a ton, um, but there's just the randomest assortment of foods. But it also seemed like they accommodated a lot of different, um, like, diets and such so it was interesting to get a little sneak peek (laughs) it was the most random assortment of foods and it was was funny because the first day basically it was like this whole cafeteria that had like probably like 15 to 20 different stations with like different food at each station but the first day that we walked in there I just like we just assumed that every station was the same (laughs) so we went to the first station and it just (laughs) It had like five options and I just assumed that it was like the same at every station. Like they were just doing that to like, you know, make sure they had enough food for the masses. So we definitely like botched it the first day because then I realized <laughs> and I was like, oh no, I would have, I would have not chosen uh, these options. I should have. <laughs> so I feel like the, yeah, the big thing was like, it would always take like 10 or 15 minutes to even decide what you want. It's like decision overload because you got to go look at like what all the stations have. Um, but, um, they had a whole station, um, with, uh, like pho, I think if I'm pronouncing that correctly, like with the noodles and the broth and, um, adding like, you know, a bunch of different toppings. So that was really cool. Um, that was really good. I'm trying to think they had, they had all sorts of things. Yeah. They had like sushi, they had a whole station for like, um, gluten-free which actually had this like amazing pizza I think it was made out of like rice something but it was like actually really really good um and yeah I'm trying to think what the worst thing I ate was I do I think I was sending some pictures to my sisters I um the scrambled eggs you like served out of like an ice cream scoop so they like kind of looked weird on the (laughs) plate they tasted really good but (laughs) that might have been like (laughs) I would send them to my sister and they were like, uh, no, those do not look good. But they actually, they actually tasted pretty good. That's so, so funny. No, that's (laughs) awesome. That is, thank you for uh, giving us an insight into (laughs) what it's like to eat in Olympic Village. That's so cool. It's honestly really cool. And maybe this is just me being interested in this sort of thing, but like how the Olympic committee pulls off making that many meals in that variety for that long. Um, it's really incredible, especially in the era of COVID where they had to, um, Things were a little more pressurized, so that it's really cool how they pulled all of that off. Um, one quick question before we leave the Olympics. What is a biggest lesson you learned from your time at the Olympics that um, you're taking into you into 2022? Um, like one, one thing you learned that um, you're going to change in 2022? Being, just being more intentional day in and day out. Like I think um, realizing that you know, don't race like a ton, but bringing that same intention to like every workout and practice and even just an easy run of like, okay, how can I get um, a little bit better today and a little bit better today? And how can I um, kind of like I was saying earlier, just reflecting on like, okay, how could I be, you know, doing things better? How could I, um, you know, 
get a little more sleep or do a little bit more stretching and rolling today to help my body. Like I think um, that was the biggest lesson of just like um, seeing people on the global stage of like, okay, you're doing, you know, they're doing the like 1%. They're always trying to get a little bit better. And, um, you know, the margin for error when everyone is so good is really small. So like just trying to, like really find the 1% in each day of like, okay, what can I do to, um, you know, run easy today and make sure I'm recovered for the workout tomorrow? Or how can I, you know, bring a more positive mindset um, to the workout and kind of think about, um, you know, certain parts of, of the race, um, you know, within the workout. So I'm, so I'm prepared when a race comes. So I think just being a little bit, taking more kind of ownership over, over the process and, and being more intentional, I think is, is my biggest takeaway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know me as a big quote guy, but when you were talking about getting 1% better, I had to pull out this quote from James Clear, who wrote the popular book, Atomic Habits. And this is just a quick quote, but he says, quote, if you get 1% better each day for one year, you'll end up 37 times better by the time you're done. This is why small choices don't make much of a difference at the time, but add up over the long term, end quote. Um, So yeah, that's super awesome that you took that away and are implementing it into this year. And it's it's certainly working as we'll get into. Um, Before we leave 2021 as a whole, after the Olympics, um, you did a, uh, a bunch of cool races over in Europe, um, probably with a little bit less pressure after coming off the high of the Olympic trials and the Olympics. So can you take us um, through those races and just what it was like to explore these new fun cities that I'm sure you had never uh, been in before? Yeah. Yeah, I think, first of all, I think it was like really helpful for me to race right after the Olympics. Um, like you said, I think um, a lot of people, when they if they finish right after, I think I would have been kind of overwhelmed by just like, oh, this, you know, experience of like the trials and then the Olympics and these like really big events. And so I think it was really helpful to be able to race after and keep going, kind of stay in like that normal routine and also um, get to put to practice the lessons that I feel like I've learned, I learned at the Olympics or, or start to at least. So, um, yeah, I ran... Um, the two mile at pre and then I went to Europe and I ran a 3k in Paris and um, a mile in Brussels and then a 5k um, in Zurich and I think like you said it was just it was a really fun couple weeks because um, basically at that point you're kind of just doing like maintenance workouts between one race to the next so you're kind of riding out your fitness from the year Um so it's really fun to just be able to focus on racing and then, um, you know, doing a little bit of exploring or um, racing against people that I, you know, hadn't raced against um, and getting to do like a mile or a 3K, like some events that, um, like some distances that I hadn't gone to do throughout the year. Um, so, yeah, that was that was super fun. And then in between um, Paris and Brussels, I spent some time um, in this really small town, um, in between like Belgium and the Netherlands, like right at the border. And, um, that was super fun. I stayed with four, um, three Kenyan steeplechasers and a Kenyan 1500 meter runner. Um, and that was just an amazing experience. Like they made, uh, Ugali for me and just learning all about, um, their life in Kenya and, 
being able to run with them was also just um, it's those kind of experiences like the traveling and and meeting all those guys that make it really special and um, just something that's so cool about about the running community knowing that like okay I wouldn't have had those you know experiences or maybe have like visited those countries if if it weren't for running Mm -hmm. okay so my facts aren't all too clear on this so you'll have to bear with me but one of your final races if not your if not the final race was a 5k at the diamond league final but they did this weird situation where they didn't even have it in the track stadium which made absolutely zero sense to me but essentially um for those who are unfamiliar with what i'm talking about they had it like in the center of a town of the town and it was like maybe a 500 meter ish track but it was not even shaped like a track so can you i'm just really curious because it was just a weird setup to me and watching it i was so confused so can you uh kind of elaborate on this weird race that i'm talking about if you know what i'm talking about yes no i, I definitely know <laughs> well edged in my mind but yeah they had it um in the city center and i feel like the concept in theory was very cool like especially for some of the field events but i think it was like weird that you know, the 5k was on an oversized track. And like you said, not even really a track, but we, yeah, we, it was really funny. We took the, um, basically they kind of had like, uh, light rail for lack of a better word, like, um, that we like got on right outside the hotel and it like took us right to the city center. Um, and I hadn't seen the track at all before. Um, so it was like, yeah, I think it was like 550 or 560 meters. And I think I was definitely in for a bit of a shock because I think I was just like, oh, it will be shaped like they'll kind of make it banked. So it'll be similar to, you know, like an indoor track, just longer straightaways. But it was not like an <laughs> indoor track at all. Uh, they had us because it was in the city center. We warmed up like in this parking garage, like they rented out like a floor of this parking garage. So we were just like doing like loops around this parking garage to warm up that is so and then funny finally got to get <laughs> finally got to get on the track a couple minutes before so trying to you know kind of get acquainted to it and then um yeah it was basically like they kind of made these bank curves and then you there was kind of like a lip though that like you had when you were going off or on the curves because they just on the straightaways it was literally just like track surface rolled out so it was definitely, and then like one of the ends was like a super tight single turn. And then the other end was like, you kind of felt like you went up a hill and down a hill because there was like one turn and then you had like a super short straightaway and then another turn. So it was definitely quite the experience. I think at that point I was like very tired at the end of the season and also just like, was like, I'm just going to full send and go for it. Um, like put myself in it and that definitely backfired like pretty early on like 2k in and didn't get in a very good good rhythm so that definitely was <laughs> a very painful second half of the race as I just got slower and slower but it was definitely yeah a unique track experience for sure <laughs> Well, it was so weird watching because, as you were saying, you would expect it to be a little bit like an indoor track, especially when they're throwing around terms like banked. But when I was watching, it was like all of you guys were like, looked like you were flying like normally. And then you would come up on this turn and then everyone like 
almost completely stopped because it was such a sharp turn and the banks looked really weird. So um, I'm sure that's one of the races you'll look back on and not necessarily be like, oh, I, I knocked it out of the park, but more so like that was the weirdest race I've ever run. So I guess in some sense, it's kind of <laughs> cool you got an experience like that. Yeah, no, it was definitely a good experience. But yeah, I think it would be so funny every time you would go up on the curve, especially like on the one side, because it was just so steep. Like the bank was just so steep. So I feel like you just like fly off the turn and just like feel like you were going to like fall on the inside and it would take everything to be like, <laughs> stay on your two feet. But yeah, it is, it is funny looking back, like I said, just like, you know, taking the, the train and then, you know, warming up in the parking garage. It was just like such a unique experience. It's like, I'm grateful to have had it because there's been, <laughs> I don't know if there'll be anything else like that. <laughs> totally. So in 2021, you kind of, well, I guess normally you have indoor track, but I'll say this anyway, you started your season early. Um, I believe late February is when you first ran uh, a 10 K and then you kind of upped the ante as the year went on with the Olympic trials and then the Olympics. And then as you just took us through the post-racing stint. So what was it like to finally get a break after all of this and kind of close out 2021 and look towards a new year where we have the world championships on our homeland? Yeah. Yeah. I think that was something, um, as I went home right after I kind of finished my racing in Europe, which was really nice. Went back to Colorado. Um, and um my friend from high school um got married and I was her maid of honor so that was kind of like a really fun thing to do right after the season just because I feel like like you said I had been racing for so long and kind of you're so locked in on the running piece of life that it was nice to kind of do something totally different help her with some like final wedding planning and things like that um and then just be um at home um, with my family. And I think that was just, you know, time to like reflect on the year. And then, um, as you said, thinking like, okay, Eugene is, um, the Eugene World Championships are coming up pretty soon. So trying to like reflect on what I had learned in 2021 and, um, you know, set some goals and and be looking forward to um, 2022, just because it's so um, special that, you know, we're getting to host the world championships on, on U.S. soil. So, you know, a big goal is to, you know, make that team and and hopefully represent um, the USA in, in Eugene. Mm-hmm. Totally. So talking about this year, 2022, to kick things off, you ran a new American record um, in the Boston Valentine meet, I believe. So what did this race mean to you to absolutely destroy your coaches, actually, a former American record by, I believe, 14 seconds, which is just unheard of? Yeah, it was it was really exciting. And I think it's, um, again, it's fun to have Shalane as a coach now just because, um, you know, it, there was a lot of talk about it, you know, leading up to the race. And she's like, you guys can do this. Like, you're ready to go. Um, and so it's really special to you know, have the support of, of your coach and, you know, be going after it. Um, like me, Gabriella and Courtney were all in the race. So um, being able to, you know, train together in Flagstaff and then um, show up together and, and try to go after that record together was, um, was really exciting. And um, yeah, Vanessa had come so close like two years before she was like less than a second off. So um Shalane was like, you guys, you got to get the record. Like some, you know, like so many, like Vanessa had been so close and then 
that's Emily had run really well that that race too so I think um I feel like we have a lot of depth in the 5k on our team so Shalane was like someone has to get it I can't I can't be having this record anymore (laughs) (laughs) so a year ago or I guess just over a year ago at the time of this recording you had what seemed to be a coming out party at the 10 um so that was just super I mean that I had you on the podcast for the first time shortly after that um and it was super cool because it was like all the work you had put in in 2020 during COVID um kind of came to fruition in that race especially it was super interesting uh because people knew you as a 1500 meter runner up until that point um so for you to run I believe 3047 in that race was crazy so for starters what did it mean to you to be able to race this event again uh uh, this year yeah oh my gosh it was so fun to go back and I think um yeah so grateful for like sound running just putting on um you know I think sometimes um from what I hear it's like it's definitely hard to get um you know a really good 10k for everyone to like go after you know trial standards and world standards and things like that and so they've done such a great job the last couple of years of just creating really incredible fields and um, a great opportunity to, to run a fast 10. Um, so to be able to go back um, there again and, um, you know, try to run, you know, faster than I did in um, my opening 10K with like a little bit more 10K experience was, was super fun. So, and I think, I don't know, just, I feel like with how, um, you know, it fits in like the our training and kind of the plan that, you know, Jerry has for us for the summer. It's like a really well-placed 10K too, just so we can really focus on like the strength at kind of this, um, our like winter camp. And um, it's fun. Like this year, I'm glad that we got to do the 5K indoor because I've been missing doing some indoor racing, but it's kind of fun to get an early outdoor season race too and and start with a 10. Mm -hmm. So before I ask you to take us through uh, the 10 2022 edition, I want to read the Instagram post of sound running that they posted today, because I think it gives some good background into just how impressive what you did was. So they start out by saying, quote, let us try. Let us try to tell you a story about this 25 lap run we witnessed on Sunday night. Let us do our best to explain how special it is to even contemplate record pace, then to watch Elise push on from 3K on her own and unbothered. What a 259K right in the middle and with no fear of the distance yet to cover. Let us tell you of the special drive, talent, and absolute mental toughness it takes to run this pace in solo for the final 7K. Records are set in very controlled environments and are are usually ushered 50 to 75% of the way. Let us tell you about the woman who threw out the notion and went for it by herself. Let us tell you about Elise Cranny. You've now hopefully seen or heard this story and understand its place in running lore. Take a bow, Elise. You've done something very special, and something tells us it's just the beginning. So whoever wrote that Instagram uh, post needs a pay raise because um, they did such yeah. a good job <laughs> of capturing the emotion of that race. So first off, I hope you took a bow. Um, and second off, can you please take us through this race a little more in depth? Yeah. Um, oh, man. Um, yeah, I guess to start, um, Lucia, who just joined the group in the fall, she paced through 3K, and Taylor Warner helped with some pacing, too, which I'm very grateful for 
um, for that, um, <laughs> made it much better than going a full, full 10 K, um, <laughs> out front. So, um, they really like started off the race, um, and got it going and kind of made it easier for me to find a rhythm. I think they were just so spot on running like 72 points. Um, so then I feel like I could get in a good rhythm. Um, I definitely think looking back, <laughs> when you read when you read the caption that 259k pretty early on uh definitely started to hit me like the last 1200 <laughs> I, would, I would say still definitely learning a bit about um you know that 10k that 10k distance um so yeah I felt like I was in a pretty good rhythm I had um Shalane and our PT Colleen yelling splits at 1 200 and then um, our strength coach, Pascal, yelling um, splits of the other 200. So I was getting a lot of um, feedback and, and energy from them, which was really helpful. And then um, the energy of the crowd on the home stretch was just absolutely incredible. Like every single time I ran by, just so much energy. Um, and then they had set up like they were playing music. So I just felt like there was like a really good um, atmosphere considering, you know, a 30 plus minute minute race. Um but yeah, I felt like I was in a good um, rhythm for a while. And then I think um, definitely at 2K, I think is when it started to, to really hit me. And then particularly the last the last mile. Um, so I hadn't really seen the pacing lights for pretty much the whole race since the pacers stepped off. So we started going a little bit faster than the lights. Um, but then I don't exactly remember when it was, but I think maybe around 1200, I finally saw the lights and then it feel like it felt like they came by me very quickly and I um, don't feel like I was able to respond right away. So um, that was definitely, I think the point in the race where I was like, okay, Elise, like you got to keep your eyes on the lights. Like don't let them get too far ahead. Um, and then, yeah, I feel like the last lap I was just like, could smell the finish line and I saw the lights and I was like, okay, all you're like trying to do all your focus is just on catching the, the lights. Um, so I am really grateful that the lights were there because I think it helped me um, just like really have um, really kind of rallied that last 400, but especially the last um, 200. And then, like I said, yeah, the, like the yelling and the, and the cloud was just huge to push me through that, that final hundred. So what does it mean to you to run the number two all-time American time in the 10K and then also just missing the record by just over a second? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think at first I just am, like, so honored to be, you know, among, like, Molly Huddle, Shalane, um, you know, the top the top times ever in both. Molly and Shalane ran those in Olympic finals and um, are people that I've, you know, looked up to since I was just getting started in the sport. So, um, you know, to be in the same realm of them is like really special. And yeah, I just, um, I'm honored to even be, be that close. Um, And um, I think, I think it's, I have gone back and forth multiple times (laughs) trying to you know again um based on you know the caption you read like focus on on the way that I ran it because I think that's um something that I'm very proud of of, and something that I've like really been consciously trying to work on of just you know taking some more risks getting more comfortable 
you know, leading from the front and getting in a good rhythm and not thinking too far ahead in the race um, or holding back. And so I think when I um, look at those things and like the progress, I feel like I've been able to make mentally by, you know, making those shifts and being willing to take more risks in races. Um, that part is, is really exciting to me. Um, and then I think, yeah, but sometimes I think my brain <laughs> the last couple of days holds on to the second second and a half and <laughs> I was talking to Jerry Zay and he's like when you break up a second and a half over twenty five laps, like you you don't really want to do that. It's like point I don't know, point oh four seconds or something really small. He's like, You just had to take like one stride fast for each lap and like that kind of will drive you nuts. I think um my second to last lap was the slowest one and I'm just like oh I feel like you could have found two seconds in that lap at least but you know that's a really hard game to play with yourself too of just like going back and mm-hmm. when you're not you know in the state of racing <laughs> and fatigue um and so yeah it's something I'm trying to focus on um just the fact that yeah in in my third 10k that I um was able to you know set a really big PR and, and put myself among um, you know, the best it, in the 10K um, in the U.S. And that's that's really special. So hopefully, um, yeah, get some more opportunities to run some more 10Ks. Um, but definitely, I would say, like, last year we went out pretty conservative just because it was our first um, 10K. And so going out um, much faster this year definitely – feels different closing at the end (laughs) than like, you know, like um, trying to get faster over the whole, the whole second 5k. So it was definitely a different, different, definitely a different way to to run a 10k, but Mm -hmm. I think I'm equipped for, for next time better now because of it. (laughs) No, I couldn't agree anymore. And I'm sure you'll find that second and a half somewhere the next time you race. And I will, per- the running effect will personally fund a pacer to take you through 7,000 meters like, like Grant and uh, <laughs> Mo had. I mean, just the amount of grit displayed, it was just incredible. Um, but yeah, so hopefully you can, you can have a little more of an ideal scenario next time. But um, it really makes what you did super inspiring and incredible because, you know, things like this don't happen because people don't take chances on themselves like this to completely go for it early on. Um, so yeah, that was just so inspiring to see. But in a bit of a more reflective state, if you think back to um, like 13 months ago, you hadn't run a 10K, you hadn't made an Olympics, um, your 5K PR up until that point was, I believe, 1448. So now flashing back towards current day, you made the Olympics, uh, you won your first Olympic trials, uh, first in the 5K, you set a new 1500 meter personal best, 402, you set a new 5000 meter personal best, which was also an American record, which was 1433, and then most recently you are second all time in the 10K with a 3014, which most American women would be happy to run that pace for a 5K. So... Uh, with that being said, that 13 months ago you hadn't accomplished that, what is it like to reflect on how far you've come in just over a year? Because really, it is truly remarkable how much of a star you've been this past year and how long you've come. But also, not to discredit what you did before that, because um, all of what you did before that, of course, made you who you are and helped you to achieve the heights of greatness that you've kind of achieved over the past 12 months. 
Wow, so many kind words. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Dominic. Um, but yeah, I think oh man, um, it's kind of it's like very surreal for sure. I think um, you know, as I said at the beginning, like the impact that um, Jason, who coached me in high school. I mean, all my coaches too, like Coach Mo and then Coach Coach Mo at Stanford had on me. But I think just um, especially with Jason, I feel like he saw something in me as a freshman in high school and like my potential in the sport. And before I saw anything close to that, I was like, what, what is he saying? Like how he hasn't even seen anything that I've done. Like, why does, you know, he have so much belief in me, but I think that was just like a really, um, really important thing for me to have when I was first getting into the sport. And I think, um, you know, when I look at the past year, I'm just like, I'm so grateful for, um, you know, the people around me that I feel like believed in me and, you know, told me, you know, taught me how to continue to, you know, set my goals higher. I think um, a huge piece is also being part of this group. I think um, that has just totally elevated um, what I've been able to do um, as a runner, Um, you know, watching when I first joined the group, like, watching um shelby carissa um watching you know marielle emily just so many people on the team what courtney's been able to do and then on the guys team as well like um you know mo meddling in 2019 and then getting an olympic medal i think um you know watching how evan goes about um you know the day in and day out of training and the the focus and dedication that he has i think just being surrounded by that the last couple of years is what has made, you know, the last 13 months possible because when you're surrounded by people that keep, you know, elevating the bar and keep redefining what's, what's possible, it just, it really rubs off on you and it makes you, you know, dream bigger and set bigger goals for yourself. Like if I'm not, you know, in this group, I don't think I um, think of running my third 10 K and like dream of, you know, breaking the American record or, you know, one day going sub 30. Like, I think that happens because of what I'm surrounded by and because, um, you know, again, watching, you know, Courtney break the nine minute barrier, um, just seeing, you know, people do that. And I think even just in women's distance running right now in general, like the bar just continues to be elevated and raised. And I think that is, um, been a huge source of like inspiration of like when you see people and you're like okay if they can do it like I can do that too I want to do that and it just you know forces you to set bigger and bigger goals and I think um that's yeah I think that's what allowed the last 13 months to happen is just like you know not limiting myself anymore and just setting bigger and bigger goals um and then doing you know like we we talked about doing the the one percent or the things on a daily basis to, you know, help me get there. So I know when I'm standing on the starting line that I've done everything I possibly can to, to be the best version of myself. And I think that, yeah, that's what allowed has allowed for um, performances that, yeah, I feel like I've been dreaming about for a while. And it's kind of surreal that, that they're happening now. Mm-hmm. 
totally. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, and I really appreciate your answer there. But part of your answer was attributing a lot of your success to your teammates, pushing you in practice every day and just helping you along the way. And I asked Sean this uh, question two episodes ago, and I really liked his answer, so I'll ask you this as well. But what are the biggest lessons you've learned from your teammates? Yeah, oh, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, I think the first thing, um, yeah, not to sound cliche, but is like dreaming big and not limiting yourself. Like I think um, all of my teammates, um, you know, have the attitude of like, why not me? Like, why can't I, you know, put myself in Olympic medal con- um, contention or um, break the American record or whatever it is. And I think um, just being surrounded by, you know, that excellence and by people that are like dreaming really big and setting really big goals um, makes an exciting environment for you to do the same. And I think, um, you know, also like we were talking about earlier, I think then it also makes it, um, a little bit easier to like take risks because you see that you know when you have teammates taking big risks they're like getting a big reward you know like that's like I don't know I think of Courtney's like Olympic race and it's like her going to the front and like totally blowing up the race and um, you know pushing it allowed her to get an Olympic silver medal and I think it's like seeing things like that and being surrounded by that in practice um, is something that is just huge mentally, just, um, you know, encouraging all of us to just keep like raising the bar and again, like redefining what's possible. And then, um, I kind of touch on this a little too, but I think just, um, learning from how everyone approaches the sport in terms of, um, again, like doing all the little things, um, you know, like seeing, um, you know, Mo or Evan, um, really committed to the gym work and the strength training to stay healthy and, um, you know, seeing teammates um, prioritize nutrition or recovery or things like that. It's like, especially when we're living together at altitude, you just pick up a lot of things from people. And um, it's really cool to be like, oh, um, I don't know. Like I lived with, you know, Andrea, who just recently joined the team. And it's like, you know, picking up, like, living with new people and picking up things that they do that you're like, oh, maybe I will, like, try to do that. Maybe that will help me sleep better or recover better or things like that. Or it's like, um, you know, living with Vanessa and she always brings such, like, a positive attitude and energy to practice. And she's always, like, you know, the the resident DJ and um, gets us hyped for workouts. <laughs> so it's like, you know, learning from her about how to approach you know, workouts with that, like, positivity and um, not any, like, anxiousness, but just excitement. Like, I think all of those things. Um, yeah, that. sorry, that wasn't, like, a, like one specific answer. I just think it's, like, a bunch of little things mm-hmm. that you learn from just, like, living and training and, and being with your teammates or things that make you reflect on, again, like, what, what I could be doing better or ways that, that I could improve or maybe do something different that I hadn't thought of before. Mm-hmm. Branching off out on that even a little bit more what do you think makes Bowerman Track Club stand out among other groups Um, because you clearly factually are one of the best groups in the world so what do you personally think makes you guys so successful yeah I think I think the first thing is Jerry's Jerry's a little bit crazy he just he um (laughs) you know he um 
has us, you know, going up to altitude and being up there for several months, like, you know, we're like in Portland less than half of the year. And so I think he's just like very meticulous in how he approaches um, training and the altitude stimulus and making sure, um, you know, we're getting what we need in terms of in workouts. And um, the training is, is really, really hard, but it works. And I think, um, I think the bigger piece though is, um, yeah, not to sound like a broken record, but I just think like the team, like the atmosphere of the team. Again, I think um, just being around people that like-minded people that all have, you know, similar goals and dreams and all want to be, um, you know, at the top at these global championships. I just think there's like, um, I don't know, an energy to, you know, again, bring that sort of like intention and focus to every single workout and get a little bit better each day. And knowing that like, you know, you're going to, if you're having an off day, your teammates are going to, you know, pull you through the workout and help you, um, you know, do something that you didn't think you could do when you first started the workout and were maybe having an off day. So I think um, just like the feel of the group, I think you, you know, you can even see that in races. Like when I think of like the, that indoor 5k, just, you know, being able to work together with Gabrielle after having, you know, trained together and then be in a race situation. I think, you know, we've seen that with Grant and Mo, both in the indoor 5K and the outdoor 10K. It's just like they are, you know, able to push one another and like switch off leads. And I think they both, um, you know, the two of them together allows them to run, you know, 26-33 and 26-34 because, um they're just like pushing each other to a whole new level and, and redefining what's possible. And I think when you have a group of people doing that, um, that's just like creates a, a very special environment for mm-hmm. things to happen. So of course, Bowerman being as successful as it is, is always in the public limelight and always being talked about. And uh, for better or for worse, you guys are criticized a lot, unfortunately. Um, so I'm curious to know, and you don't have to answer this if you don't feel comfortable answering this, but what do you think is the biggest misconception about the group that gets talked about a lot? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. We've kind of been talking about this recently. I think I don't know. I think sometimes when um, when we are just like, I don't know, up at altitude or like racing less, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, they're not, you know, doing what's good for the sport. But I think at the end of the day, it's like it's coming from a place of Jerry wanting to um, get the very most out of all his athletes. And I think he, like I said, he's just so meticulous in terms of like um, – you know, this is when this person needs to go up to altitude. If they're going to race at this point in time, I want them to be up for, you know, a month or, or whatever it is. And I think, um, I think sometimes maybe that comes across as, um, you know, we're, we're missing out on some of these races or we're not, um, you know, doing some like indoor USAs, for example, is like, I know a lot of us would have loved to do indoor USAs and it's not because we don't want to be there, but it's just like, it's, it didn't this year fit with the schedule that, you know, has us ready to go, um, like chase a lot of goals that we have and like be at our best in, um, this summer. And I think for a lot of us, it's like the 10 K just fit in the plan better for that. And it's like, maybe if the 10 K is a couple weeks later and we can do both, then we would do both. Um, so I think that sort of thing is like, 
um, yeah, I think it's like a misconception is like, you know, we're just like, we're not racing. We're like sticking in our very like insular group. But I think at the end of the day is like, we're, we just all want to do the very best that we can. And we want to see um, what our potential is. And I think we like trust Jerry to um, help train us and help create like a race schedule that will get us there. Um, and it's not because we don't want to be at, you know, some of these races, but it's because um, he, you know, has our best interest in mind with that. So I think, yeah, I guess, I guess the m- most common misconception I think is just lumping all of us together as like one group, um, you know, sponsored by Nike, which is just a huge corporate business, but it's like at the end of the day, we're all individuals like dedicating our life to um, this very challenging sport and we love the running community and we love competing and we love seeing what we can bring out of each other and what you know our competitors and other people in the running community can bring out of us in races and I think yeah that's why we're you know we're doing it to to be the best um, that each of us can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah branching out on that a little more with my own opinion I mean you can't really argue with how Jerry does things just based on your guys' results. Like you guys are, as I said before, factually one of the best groups in the world, um, certainly in the United States. And when you have a guy like Grant Fisher running 26-33 and you personally running 30-14, it's like he knows what he's doing. And if that means sacrificing not racing every weekend, you know, so be it, right? Um, He obviously wants what's best for you guys and is looking in your best interest and as a mastermind of training um he knows what's gonna get you your best possible result and he's acting in the best interest of you guys not the average joe on the couch wanting to watch some track and field so i will always stand up for jerry schumacher but yeah thank you for that um response because i think um, some of those questions don't get answered enough and people get annoyed with them. But at the end of the day, it's like they're not the athletes. So I appreciate you speaking up on that because I know it's a little more of a juicy subject. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Um, one thing I asked Sean on, I know I'm asking some of the similar questions I asked Sean, but you guys both give such great answers. Um, I asked Sean what it was like to see you make the Olympics and do such amazing things last year. So I'll flip the uh, the table on you and ask you, what was it like seeing Sean have an incredible year last year, but in a little bit of a different way, more so battling adversity and uh, coming out on top as he always does? Yeah, I think... Um, his birthday was yesterday, so I was just... I know, super exciting. (laughs) I was like, your resilience in the last year has just been, like, very impressive. And again, like, something that's been so inspiring to me and his ability to just keep coming back from from so many surgeries. Um, But it is, yeah, it's something that's, like, really special, I think, um, about our relationship is, like, we... Um, both have the same dreams and goals. So it's like we know, you know, exactly how the other person is is feeling and what they want. Um, But I think it can also make it hard. Like, for example, you know, at the trials when, like, watching his steeple race when he didn't make the team, and it's like you just know, um, you know, how much adversity had gone into getting to the start line and um, trying to make that team. Like, you're just heartbroken for him because you know – because I know what his dreams and goals are. I know what he's capable of. Um, but then um, to 
I think I was had gone back up to Park City and he ended up getting an MRI and I was just like his Achilles had been bothering him and I was like it can't be that bad like it just it feels like it didn't show up that long ago and then when he called me and told me he had Hagland's on the other side and was like needing to get surgery I was just in absolute disbelief I was like oh my gosh like he's had two surgeries he does not he does not need another surgery (laughs) but I think um just again like you said watching him battle his way back um and then be back to you know getting the world standard in the 5 and 10k less than you know eight months post-surgery has just been so incredible I think you know it makes it People can see that from the outside, but I think it makes it that much even more impressive when it's like I've seen his whole journey in the day to day, you know, like back to when he was like non weight bearing for two weeks. And then, you know, when he was um, on the spin bike every single day, it's like you just see all those steps in between and um, all the hard work and, you know, the positive mindset he was, you know, working on cultivating every single day when you're like cross training or doing things that you don't you don't want to be doing because you just want to be running. And um, yeah, he's, it's just been um, incredible and so inspiring to see um, his resilience and also him never like losing faith and in, in the journey and the process and like knowing that he, you know, was, was made to run and, and do this and, um, you know, never um, like straying from that even, when he had reason to question, like, why is my body, you know, kind of failing me or, or keep having um, issues. So I think that's been something that's really cool to see, too, is like he's never questioned that this is what he's supposed to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. Well, he certainly wins like the resilient resiliency award if they had such a thing for the past two years, just how he keeps on fighting um, despite the great adversity. And it's so, so inspiring to me and so many others to see him continue to push and then this past or not this past year this past month where he's had two really incredible results it's just so so cool to see um i know we are taking a little bit of time so i apologize for taking you a bit late but i have three quick questions i want to um get your response on um because i would love to hear your response because they're always so amazing um we talked about a minute ago um kind of the public view of bowerman track club but on a personal level um and i know a lot of people struggle with this again as a podcast that is geared towards high schoolers a lot i know they struggle with this a lot and i've heard it from them personally but in a culture that is so fixated on results how have you personally tried to detach yourself from what others think of you? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think so important. And I think something that um, that I've tried to focus on is, again, kind of like the process-oriented mindset and the steps that you, you know, are taking forward. Like, we all have, like, very different stories, very different um, journeys. And at the end of the day, like, we can only do the very best that we can. And so I think, um, you know, I was even trying to remind myself of this um, after the race this weekend. It's like records are, um, you know, really cool to have and something really cool to to chase after. But at the end of the day, not letting, like, coming up short of that, you know, make me lose sight of, like, okay, I set a really big um, PR in the 10K. And I think um, that's something that I've really, I actually think has been really um, big for me the last year, Um, kind of a mindset I was trying to cultivate before the trials is like, 
you know, at the end of the day, I can only do the very best I can. So if I'm doing like, you know, everything I can to prepare and stand on the line, confident knowing that I did everything I could, um, at the end of the day, like the outcome and the result is, is out of my control. Um, if I show up and, you know, run the best race I can mentally and physically, like I can't ask for anything more. And I actually think that was really helpful um, for me going into the trials, just kind of having that mindset of like, okay, yes, um, making the Olympic team is a really big goal. And it would be, I would be disappointed if I didn't, but like, I, if I go out there and give everything I have and I come up short, but I know that I did everything I can, I could do. And I ran at my absolute, um, potential, then there was nothing else that I could have done. Um, and so I think, you know, trying to cultivate that mindset is like, you know, doing all the little things, doing everything that you can, um, and like finding joy in the process of doing that and knowing that, um, you know, no matter the outcome itself, if you're doing the best that you can and showing up in a race and giving everything you have, um, that you can be happy with, with that result. Um, you know, knowing that you did everything you could, um, to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that advice. I'm sure a lot of people um, can relate to that and be benefited from your answer. So I appreciate that. Um, I meant to ask you this earlier um, when we were talking about the 10, which you just ran. Um, you ended up following Grant Fisher's lead in donating your prize money to the Katie Meyer Memorial Fund. Um, so can you take us behind this decision and then additionally the impact of Katie's tragic death um, especially in your circle because you went to Stanford where she attended school. Yeah, I think um, Vanessa and I, we were rooming together and we, um, she had the great idea of, of writing Katie's initials um, on our wrist before the race. Like a lot of Stanford athletes had been writing her initials on like tape on their wrist and in all of their games. And um, we just like, you know, haven't been able to stop thinking about her the last week. And I think, um, like you said, it just hit so close to home in terms of being in the Stanford community and knowing like, you know, as a Stanford athlete, like that could have been, you know, anyone on the team or anyone that we were, you know, friends with when we were there. And so I think um, it was just, we really wanted to um, run for her this weekend. And I think, um, it's just a really important time to, you know, like check in on friends and check in with people, um, and make sure, you know, they know that they're, they're not alone and that they're always, um, friends and, and family here to, here to support, um, support anyone who's going through a hard time. Because I think, um, yeah, I mean, just with the state of our world too, and, and everything going on, I think it's, it's just so important, um, you know, again, kind of like we were saying at the beginning to focus on, on the relationship piece and, um, you know, being there in, in community for one another. Um, cause it's just, yeah, it's so tragic, um, that at 22 years old, like, um, you know, she's, she's not here. And so I think, um, Grant, um, Vanessa and I had tried to figure out besides writing her initials, like, is there something else we could do? So then, you know, when Grant um, decided to donate to um, her memorial fund, I was like, you know, that's a great idea. That's something um, I feel like we ran the race, you know, in her memory and um, we're thinking about her. So 
um, really wanted to try um, to, you know, follow in Grant's lead and, and donate to that as well. Cause I think it's just, um, yeah, a really, really important thing and um, something that, you know, affects, affects people everywhere. So um, yeah. Okay. I know I'm asking you way too many questions, but just real quick, I would feel bad if I didn't ask you this just as a follow-up to that. I feel like especially in the 2021 Olympics with Simone Biles uh, coming out on mental health subjects, mental health kind of started to become a conversation among athletes and professional athletes that it is really a big deal and just as important, the mental side as the physical side, but people really only focus on the physical side, which is definitely an issue. So uh, why do you think it's important to focus on the mental health side of things? Because I don't think people have given it enough um, attention recently. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think what Simone, you know, did was great. And just like the more that we continue to talk about it, I think is, is so important. I think, I don't know, I think there's just such a, um, I think a lot of you know, athletes are just so um, high striving that it's just very easy to kind of get in that situation where you're, you know, in like a little bit of a pressure cooker and things become so overwhelming. But, um, you know, that kind of goes back to your question on, you know, how to focus on not being so results driven. Driven, I think, you know, when we have these high expectations and put so much, you know, pressure on, on ourselves, it's easy to kind of lose that joy. And then it's easy to, um, you know, be so results driven and, um, be, you know, like not okay mentally if, if an outcome doesn't happen. And I think, um, it's just, um, I think Sean said he talked about this, but, um, he started working with a sports psych. I also started working with a sports psych in the, um, fall. And I think, you know, that comes from like being inspired by like people like Simone Biles or people that continue to, um, talk about the importance of, of mental health because, um it is so important and it is like I know this analogy is used a lot but it's just like especially in running it's like we're running and training every single day so um we can't like neglect our mind either like our mind needs you know training and um you know a positive space where you know we're taking care of of our mental health too and um you know managing our our energy and how you know we're um feeling about life and you know what we're pursuing and things like that and I think yeah I think it's just so important when um, you think about how much time we spend on the physical training to be um, focused on on the mental side as well. Mm -hmm. Okay so I know we've talked about some serious subjects in this episode um, and I really appreciate you diving into some of those subjects and being vulnerable and giving us some really phenomenal insights and answers. But to top off this already amazing episodes, I'd love to do five quick rapid fire questions that are a little more fun than what we've been talking about. So are you ready for these five <laughs> questions? Let's do it. Okay. Number one, what are you most looking forward to in 2022? Ooh, um, probably... Um, taking a vacation with Sean after the season because we said we were going to do it for like the last three years and then he had surgery and then we haven't been able to do it so I feel like that's been a long time coming so we need to make it happen in 2022. <laughs> totally you you guys definitely both deserve it uh is there like a dream destination <laughs> or location you guys want to go to? Um we talked about going to Mexico or any sort of like 
beach vacation. So stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> okay, number two, biggest one-stepper on Bowerman. Oh, man. Um, and I guess this is more on the girl side of things. Uh, Sean gave his answer on the guy's side of things or half-stepper in Grant <laughs> Fisher's case. Um, oh, man. I might have to go with um, Lucia. She just joined in the fall, and she um, she's the youngest one on the team. And I, I actually love it because it's just like – I think she's just like so excited and has so much energy. Um <laughs> So actually, like, it brings, like, a good – like, she's never trying to do it. Um, but she's, I think she's just, like, always so excited to run. And she is really young and hasn't been in Jerry's training that long. So I feel like she's, like, very, like, spry and, like, always ready to go. Um, so she always, like, gets, like, a head start on us when we first start <laughs> to run. All, our, all of us who have been in Jerry's training for a while are lag behind a couple steps. <laughs> oh, okay. Number three, favorite post-race meal. Oh man, um, probably any sort of, um, oh gosh, why am I having such a difficult time? Um, There's so much of... good food, I would have a difficult time if you asked me as well, so <laughs> no worries. I know, at first I was going to be like a burger, but then just like, oh, there's so many options. I think, um, yeah, just anything like, anything like steak or burger, like really, salty and filling I feel like after I feel like usually before a race I just have like a lot of like oatmeal and like peanut butter bread so like anything like salty and hearty yeah so uh, probably steak or burger I would say yeah I totally agree that's like it's always such a hard thing because I'm in the same boat as you I'm sure most runners are everyone eats a little bit differently but where it's like a lot of oatmeal or like carbs before a race so I feel like after after a race it's always tricky as to as to what you're craving um number three um, okay, this this question I actually popped in last minute because apparently it's very there's a very fiery debate on social media about this currently, and I don't actually know if someone came up with an answer. But in your opinion, what do you think there are more of in the world right now, um, doors or wheels? Oh my god! Uh... I have no clue which because I feel like there are way too many of each. But it, I, I came across a question and it's just, it's made me scratch my head because it's so interesting. Yeah, um, I might go doors. See, I would feel like doors because when I at least personally thought of wheels, I was like, well, think about all the cars in like the world and how many. That's like four wheels per car. But then when you said that, I just thought of well there are normally four doors on each car as well. So I don't know. I hope someone dig gets to the bottom of this because um, just a super fascinating uh, topic um, and just random yeah. question. But apparently people are getting pretty fiery about it on social media as people tend to do, unfortunately. Um, but anyways, just a, oh, a funny question. Um, okay, last but not least, if you were on a deserted island and you could only bring three things, what would they be? Oh, man. This is a really hard question. Um, so they're, they're things, they're not people, like three items. Uh, for what it's worth, I'm pretty loose with my terms, and I let Sean allow <laughs> himself to bring you on the island. So in this case, yes, you can bring people. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, well, uh, I guess I'll bring um, – oh, man, this is, this is a really hard question. It's going to stump me. Um, I'll go Sean. We'll be on the island together. Um, 
and then um oh man maybe you like spike ball or some kind of fun activity <laughs> spike ball is the best game um, <laughs> and oh man um probably ice cream i guess we'll just like continue with the theme from from like all the times that we've talked like maybe just, <laughs> you know have some some cold stone ice cream while we're you know playing spike ball and stranded on an island awesome yeah just <laughs> have like a full thing but have like a cold stone dispensary right by you guys no those three things you can't go wrong with sean mcgordy spike ball and ice cream i couldn't agree more elise it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you for over an hour and it's also been a pleasure to have you as my 50th guest so thank you so much for the wisdom and inspiration you provide to so many so i really appreciate it Well, thank you so much. And yeah, congrats again on the 50th episode. Can't wait for there to be lots more of of the running effect in the future. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Running Effect. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, please like, subscribe, and share to help us out. Stay tuned for a new episode next week and make sure to turn on post notifications so you get notified the minute it comes out. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Running Effect and also we have a Strava Club. Uh, I believe it's called The Running Effect Podcast. So I hope you guys are all doing well. I hope your running is thriving. God bless you all.